We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Dream, Dusty Rhodes and Dusty, your fans welcome you back, man. Sports Radio 550. I don't have to say a lot more about the way I feel about Sports Talk Saturday. No respect, no honor. There is no honor among thieves in the first place. He put hard times on Dusty Rhodes and his family. You don't know what hard times are, Daddy. Hard times are when the textile workers around this country are out of work. They got four or five kids and can't pay their wages, can't buy their food. Hard times are when the auto workers are out of work and they tell them go home. And hard times are when a man has worked at a job 30 years. 30 years, they give him a watch, kick him in the butt, and say, hey, a computer took your place, daddy. That's hard time. Want to talk to the guys on Sports Talk Saturday? Call or text us now. You put hard times on this country by taking Dusty Rhodes out. That's hard time. Sports Talk Saturday on WGR. Make no mistake where you are. Ooh, you know the music. You know the man, Dusty Rhodes. You know me, Nate Geary, and that guy behind the board wearing his Nick at Night shirt, by the way. Very elite-level shirt for this time of year. What Any time is, of year. What's the TV show? When you think of Nick at Night, what's the first show? Probably Keenan and Kel. My God. I'm so old. Yeah, probably. Because that's when Nick at Night wasn't just reruns of old stuff anymore. It was... Just, it was the new, it was, it was that new-new. That's right. And it wasn't necessarily Snick, either. This is not a Snick situation. This is uh, just, they just did straight up, you know what, I think people like new program, we're just going to roll new programming. and Keenan Kel, and what was the one where it was like, all that? Oh, all that. All that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was Keenan and Kel, you had all that. Um, you had Roundhouse, if yes. you're feeling it. Yeah. Uh, what else did we have that was live? Was Nick and Knight did, did um, uh, hidden, uh, the, the Legends of the Hidden Temple? Absolutely. Was, it, was, that, was that Nick and Knight? Yeah. Okay. Um, who, was it... Uh, Deion Dawkins said that that was what the game show he'd want to be on if he was ever on a game show. Absolutely. Legend of the Hidden Temple. 100%. Imagine Deion Dawkins trying to crawl through the set. Amazing. No, a giant of a human being just trying to squeeze through like the mouth of an ancient Aztec The Amanda statue. show. Amanda Bynes. She's really t- she's gone downhill since that show. Mm. Yeah, she's gone downhill. That's tough. Yeah, it is what it is. Uh, so yeah, Nick at Night. If you've got any thoughts on that, we'd love to. We'd love to hear. Yeah, we'd love to hear from you. Because nothing else has happened. Not one other thing has happened. Not one. Um, I have slipped into a moderate uh, level of depression. Um, uh, mostly from the fact that I won't. I didn't really get to fully enjoy a fresh Thanksgiving meal this year because I was working. Thankfully, Derek's mom, Derek Kramer, here at the station, his mom brought in like a, a nice little feast for us, right? It was great. She brought in a bunch of stuff. By the way, not a big turkey guy. I just like I saw uh, I saw a Thanksgiving food ranking uh, foods ranked, and turkey was number one. No, they the, uh, big this, no. You can always refer to Howard Simon and Jeremy White for this. They usually do a whole procedure of figuring out what is their favorite Thanksgiving food on the morning show, Thanksgiving Survivor. 
Um, Thanksgiving. <laughs> turkey's usually one of the first to go, honestly. Right. Like, turkey never makes it, goes the distance. I just don't get it. I, I, I don't understand the infatuation with turkey. It's, it's, a, it's a bland bird. Wow. It's a, it's, it's a bland bird that's often shot up with steroids. It's you, like I mean, 50 you, times the size it should be. You've probably had it cooked badly. It's a real easy bird to do wrong. I, so here's what I, I was going to say. I, I've had a – Derek's mom brought in turkey, and it was probably the best cooked turkey I'd, I'd ever had. Mm-hmm. Uh, I smoked a turkey for Friendsgiving on Tuesday. Yep. Now, I didn't smoke a whole turkey. I just smoked a bunch of turkey breasts because – I'm not a big dark meat guy anyways, and I didn't want to... There's a problem. I did not want to test out smoking a full turkey when everyone, when there were like 20 people relying <laughs> on me to make yeah, turkey. So I'm like... There's a lot riding on I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to experiment this way. So I did like five, I uh, did what, six tur- turkey breasts, did like a, uh, I, I used this Cajun mustard as the binder, lots of salt, lots of pepper, smoked, covered... Put a whole half a stick of butter in each thing, wrapped it back up, and put it back. Boy, that was that was some fantastic. I mean, it was as juicy of turkey as I've ever had. Yeah, that's the trick. They it dries out real easy, real easy. And if you dry it out, it is practically inedible. It's basically inedible. Yeah, but it's if you do it correctly, it's it's really good. I just think even when you do it really well, there's just so many other meats that I'd rather have. Proteins are generally flavor transportation vehicles anyway. You're not yeah, having it because it's the protein. You're ha- using it to transport something else with and it. And as long as it's properly salted and peppered, I guess right. you could really live anywhere. But like that's why, for me, if, if I'm given the opportunity... Now, I, Christmas is usually this way because my grandparents used to cook a turkey and a ham for Christmas. Now we're talking. Um, but for Thanksgiving, it was only turkey. Mm-hmm. So... If given the opportunity to choose between turkey and ham, I am picking ham 15 times out of 10. Okay. I, I, listen, that's respectable. Yeah. As a position. Especially like a nice brown sugar glaze, like like a nice sweet outside. Sure. You know, I, I, I don't understand why people will go and get a turkey, put it in the oven for like 10 minutes to warm it, and then just because it's been previously cooked doesn't mean you can't torch the bleep out of the outside. Like, I kind of want that crispy burnt end on the outside of the ham. That's right. Like that's that's elite. Yeah, and it's especially true with the skin on the turkey. That yeah, stuff is, yeah, that's you, right. That stuff has got to be crisp. It's it got to be crisp. You got to do it. Have to do it because a soggy turkey skin. Get, miss me with that. Tur- thanks to, because there's so many avenues of attack in Thanksgiving. Like there's so many there's so many plays happening on the field at once, and everything about cooking is timing it correctly. Yeah, it's all chemistry. It is all chemistry. So that's right. When, timing. When you add, anticipation, a lot of anticipation, baby. When you add a lot more plays on the field, a lot you have to go through all of your progressions. A lot of personnel groupings. That's right. When yeah. you when like when you're going five wide and you just have to move through every single one of those progressions, you can lose stuff. So like that's when Thanksgiving goes wrong. Simplicity. So many things happening at once, you lose track of the turkey. Turkey stays in there maybe a little bit too long. Maybe you miss time. It People a bit. also try to do too much with. They try to church up your turkey. Ooh, yeah, you don't need to. No, it's really butter, some herbs. What else do you Mostly really need? Mostly everything is butter. Yeah, I, I, I tweeted this out yesterday to have people try to tell me or guesstimate how many sticks of butter they ate between Friendsgiving, Thanksgiving, and just this week. Like, how many sticks of butter do you think you consumed? I I conservatively said, because again, I did not get to eat as much Thanksgiving food as I wanted to. Yeah. In particular, no one at Friendsgiving made mashed potatoes. Really? Was a little, had I known no one was going to do it, I would have just done it. Did it just slip through the cracks? 
I mean, there was a lot of good, a lot of good stuff. I'm a big, I love stuffing. There was, there was like two plates of stuffing. Did you coordinate this ahead of time? Did there, people it know? Was, it was yes. There, okay. there was a list, and I, I thought that maybe it was just a, a, an overlook by my part. By I, I thought, how about this? I, I just assumed someone was making mashed potatoes. Ooh. Because that's like, that's the person turkey. Department. Mashed potatoes is like the second thing on the list that you have to worry about for Thanksgiving. And Derek's mom made some fantastic uh, mashed potatoes as well. Um, yeah, I was I was a little disappointed. And then I went to my grandparents, and there wasn't not there wasn't much left. By the time I got done with post game and got to my grandparents' house, it was it was kind of slim pickings. Like yeah. I didn't I, I didn't get a lot to choose from. Um, but you know. Someone at Friendsgiving, uh, my my girlfriend's friend Sarah, her her husband Peter, so we we call him the bread daddy. Ooh, he made big carbs, homemade, um, homemade biscuits. Well, or like homemade rolls, homemade yeah. dinner rolls, and then he makes a cinnamon compound butter. Yeah, boy. Yeah, we're br- yeah, boy. Man, we're bringing back the Buffalo Roadhouse vibes. Yeah, boy. Buffalo, that here's was... what I know: Buffalo people know what I eat. And people, Buffalo people know how to have a good time. That's what I know. And and when you put eats and good times together, you get compound cinnamon compound butters with, that's with right. dinner rolls. Just use it as a face wash. Just yeah, use, no, just after your shower. That's right. I I use it to um, the skin routine. Yeah, I I use it to hydrate the uh, the dry skin around my eyes. That's right. Just uh, a good compound butter. It's the cinnamon. It actually it's <laughs> it's, it's very complementary of your skin. That's yes, right. that's right. That's how you still look twenty one. That's right. Yeah, listen, there's a lot of UV radiation, especially in the wintertime up oh, here. Oh God, you, you more gotta. than more than you really want to give it credit for. That's right. All right. Um, we should talk about football. Why? Uh, I love you on Twitter because you go so hard in the paint with every single emotion that happens in a football game. That's right. Uh, nothing but big feelings. All of, the feels. Out of Nate Erie. It is a down-by-down, right. moment-by-moment sort of... Um, the Bills are in a state of... A journey. The, the Bills are in a state of collapse, or the Bills are ascendant. And that is the only way about it. And honestly, I wish there was an in-between. I'm not going to Twitter for a rational take. No! No, I don't you want... You've got a truth social no, for that. That's right. I don't want people coming to me saying, I need to calm down. Get out of my life, okay? You're not my dad. You're not the cops. When I'm watching Buffalo Bills football, I want a, a rationally unhinged. That's right. I want I want people to be having a psychotic break with reality online on about a the sec- Buffalo on a, Bills. On a second down and three. That's right. I'm and that's gonna, me. I refuse to be out-Twittered by Philly Twitter. Absolutely correct. That's right. I, I'm glad you said that because I think it's important for people to understand. And and people are still, for whatever reason, like people that have been following me for long enough to know. First mistake. Absolute unhinged. And I used to like I used to put a disclaimer. I might have to put the disclaimer back in my in mm-hmm. my Twitter because I cannot be you can't hold these things against me. They are what they are. That's I right. am what I am. That's it right. is what it is. So um yeah, and and you know I, I was having this this conversation today, and Brandon Keeney, who uh, formerly of the station, formerly uh, of our sister station, um, WBEN, uh, who's no longer with us, he is with us dearly in, departed. He is alive. Okay. He's just no longer at the station. Oof, okay, um, but you know he he kind of not came at me a little bit, but kind of was like saying, well, I, I think some of your concerns about the Bills are, are almost like like you're leaning into a little bit, like maybe you're pretending a little bit. And I was like, 
No. No, there's no. no. There's no pretending there's about no any of this. There's no pretending. I am as emotional and unhinged as it gets. Like, I, I had this conversation in postgame yesterday, and the thing you have to realize about this Bills team, and even going back to last year and the year before and the expectations that were there, have been elevated to simply a new and unprecedented level that has never been of a Bills team in my lifetime. And frankly, I'm not even sure that one of the four Bills teams that went to the Super Bowl had the preseason expectations that this Bills team had. They were consensus universal favorites to win the Super Bowl, and the quarterback was the consensus universal favorite to win the MVP. That's very that's rare territory. Not many teams start a season like that. Right. So when you go through the trials and tribulations of a midseason slump, you look at them differently than I did in 2018, and 2019, and 2020, and tw- even last year. Like the they were seven and six last year. That to me doesn't even register anymore. <laughs> no. Like, think of everything everybody has said and felt so far this season, and they are eight and, and three, three, which is so much better than what they were at this point last season. And even so, it's just it's so laborious. It hurts. Uh, it like at times it's tough to watch. And now you just have injury after injury. And I don't want to beat the dead horse about this point. But again, the reason that I was so upset and so fr- and why a lot of people should have been that maybe were trying to convince me and, and sell me that there's next year, Nate. There is never next year. Ever, ever, ever. Well, and if you're always- a Bills fan <laughs> and you're coming at me, well, there's always next year. They're eight and three. Give me a- no, I know, but I- I'm talking this about, year. I'm talking about last year when, when, when the Bills lost in Kansas City. And everyone's like, Nate, consoling me. Next year, this team's still so good. It's like, buddy. No. Buddy, don't sell me on next year. You have no idea what's going to happen next year. And then what happens? In week two, you lose Micah Hyde for the season. Now you've got Deion Dawkins with a left ankle. Now Von Miller could be lost for the season. Like, all of these things are factors you have to keep in mind when you're talking and trying to project in the future. You have to sort of live in the now while understanding that the future is, of course, very bright. And there is this window that they exist in. And the window is will be always propped open with Josh Allen at the quarterback position. But... Brendan kind of said to me, his point was, well, they have Josh Allen, so why are you worrying? Josh Allen played the best playoff bleeping ever (sighs) of any quarterback ever to have walked and graced the presence of the earth, and they didn't even make it out of the divisional round. No, I I mean, I can't believe how he's playing through what he's playing through right now and how it's affecting him, and it's clearly affecting the offense and everything around it. It's pure and simple. It goes through him. The throw he made to get them into field goal range on Silly. exactly one throw. Silly. Uh, with a with a bad arm, yeah. stepping into it and delivering it to literally no other place the ball could go for it to be a successful pass. I it's we that might be the best throw he's thrown ever. That throw. It's one of them. Yeah. And and it's like even when it's at its toughest, it seems, with the yes. amount of injuries they have, the people they're losing, the the status of the quarterback himself, looking like every game is now just an absolute dogfight, and there's not, never yeah. going to be you're not, like they're going to kill that narrative about one score games because they will only because they're going to be playing games. a lot of one score games. That's right. It just feels that way, and then you have him uncork that. It's just good lord. But it's got not so- even you know. It's funny, and, and I, I said this yesterday on my podcast. Bruce Nolan's going to join us at twelve thirty. By the way, here's a quick rundown. Um, we've got Eric Turner, cover one. He's going to join us at eleven thirty. Joe Yerden, we're going to switch gears just for a half hour. We're going to talk some Sabres hockey. Back to football with Bruce, and then Matt Verderam, a fan sided, joins me at one o'clock. So we've got a lot to get to today. I just wanted to lay that out for everybody so they knew what's going on here. Um, and happy Small Business uh, Saturday to all of you folks that are celebrating. Um, 
I, I watched a Sunday NFL countdown last Sunday mm-hmm. because I was sick and unable to be here at work. So it's the first time that I was really kind of sitting at home on a Buffalo Bills football Sunday and was watching the pregame coverage. And the NFL Live or the NFL Sunday countdown coverage talked about the Bills in an almost a derogatory light, saying like, well, the Bills only – they you look at the Bills. They win all these big games. but or they, they blow teams out, but they can't win the sh- – to use – Winning by large margins against the Bills should tell you just what the expectations are That's right. for this team. And they celebrate the Minnesota Vikings for winning in this the worst possible ways by going down by three touchdowns and having to fight their way back to win with the quarterback who has to fumble himself in the end zone. They celebrate that, but then they look at that Bills game on Thursday and they say, well, the Bills shouldn't be struggling with the Lions and the Bills shouldn't be this. And the... the the, the moving of the goalposts because of the expectations, I think, is something that you sort of have to live with with this team. But for me, they have been incredibly ordinary for the last 12 quarters. The only thing different about the level of takes on Twitter and the level of takes on TV is that the adjectives that are used. Yeah, yeah. But they are just Because as, they don't have a 180-character uh, limit. Right, they're just as wild. Like, to say, like, the narrative of close-score games and that, you know, everything about what is the Bills and how they succeed and how they throw, to have, like, the amount of takes that come out on TV about any team, really, not just the Bills, it's just as crazy and just as in, inane of takes as we see online. Like, I, did anybody ever complain about Michael Phelps winning close races when he was swimming? I don't think so. Like, Not never, that I know of. It's you just like, oh well, hey, that's really good. Look, he's blowing out Olympic fields all over the place. It's, you never com- it's, for some reason for the Bills it mattered that they well it's a close game. I guess it's it's a thing that they don't win close games, but every other game they win is by murder on television, right? Like the, the stat was three and nine in close games and sixteen and one in blowouts. Yeah, which is still I would like to point out a winning record. That's right. Still a winning record. And I think that that narrative is largely overblown, the the close game thing. So you mean the Bills are 19 and, and what, 10 in overall in all that entire span? That's exactly mo- what that means. And it's mostly by audiovisual homicide and every Sunday. And the thing, too, is, listen, I will say that the Bills have not, in the Josh Allen era, won a game in overtime. They're like 0-5 or something, 0-4. If things get to overtime, I'm not really feeling too good. But I will say, like, this was a team that were living up to expectations through five weeks. If you looked at Ben Baldwin's charts, it was the Bills, and then, like, they were so far ahead. And eventually that was going to come down a little bit. But what I think partially they're struggling with is that key contributors are now depth players. And say what you will about you can say that maybe you're underwhelmed by the Bills' depth. Don't say that. The, the Bills are playing at above replacement level with a lot of depth players. That's right. If the Kansas City Chiefs had to play with name their backup tight end, would they be as potent as they are? No, they wouldn't. If they if they lost Orlando Brown Jr. and then lost Creed Humphrey in the same game, would they be able to protect Patrick Mahomes? Probably not as good, right? They lost a couple of their corners in that game against the Bills. And Josh Allen eventually took advantage of that late in that game. But the thing is, is if you look weeks one through eight, and then weeks, I think, eight through 12, it is the Bills here, and man, the Bills are next to the Browns right now. 
Yeah. I mean, that's how mediocre it has been. And when your expectations are as high as they are, and you see the offense in the situation, the kerfuffle that they're in right now, it's hard not to look at the offensive coordinator and say, like, what the hell, man? But at the same time, say, well, the injuries make it hard to evaluate. No, they don't. Because the offense has been largely healthy, except for Josh Allen. And is Josh Allen's arm killing the efficiency, the injury to his elbow killing the efficiency of this passing offense? I would say it's certainly not helping it. But either is the offensive coordinator, in my opinion, who can't seem to build in easy things for his quarterback. Everything has to be so hard. They have to, they have to try to attack the most difficult places on the field. If you watched... Any of that, which apparently 41 million people watched, so I guess everyone here that's listening would have watched. Um, But the Dallas Cowboys-New York Giants game. And you watch that first drive. You watch the Giants walk right down the field on that that Dallas defense. And what do you see? You see the pocket moving. You see a, a tight end motion across the formation and then a rollout and a little dump pass to the tight end who takes it 40 yards on the second play of the game. Where is that? Like, where are the built-in layups in this offense? There are none right now. They are expecting it's either Josh Allen be Superman or they go three and out. And it's, A, not fair to him that this offense has yet to evolve to a point where it has to be 84% Josh Allen or nothing. That's a problem for me. Like, I know a lot of people looked at the... You know, people looked at the Brian Dable era as, okay, yeah, he was good, but we're ready to move on. A lot of people should be eating their words because it doesn't – I think a lot of people took for granted how good Brian Dable was at scheming up easy things early in Josh Allen's career and progressing to the really hard stuff, but still sprinkling in the easy stuff. There was the built-in Cole Beasley plays on third and four. You knew that Cole Beasley was going to run an option route, and no matter what the defender did, they didn't have the answer because Cole Beasley, if you went in, he'd go out. You go out, he went in. And it was as simple as that. It was easy. It was simple. And to tell me just because you don't have Cole Beasley anymore, you can't run those things, that's nonsense to me. Because you do have Isaiah McKenzie, who, did a, who had a great first half last week, 100 yards in the first half. Really kept that offense afloat while, while Allen and Diggs struggled with the chemistry to find each other. They came later, trust me. But, like... Where's Khalil Shakir? He's he should be able to do the things, some of the things that Cole Beasley did in zone coverage. They just the easy stuff is not there, and it's not there because they're not trying. It's not there because teams are taking it away. The easy stuff of dumping, even what they have decided, what Ken Dorsey has decided, and what Brandon Bean has supported is the short easy stuff is to the running backs. I am, and I hate it. I'm curious because. There was always this tension, at least that was reported, between Dayball and McDermott about what the offense would look like and what the play calling would be. And should it be more run-oriented? Should it be more pass-oriented? And now Dayball leaves, takes the head coaching position with the Giants, and you have a very new offensive coordinator. You would think it would be much easier for McDermott to put his stamp on things and to have a, a greater influence on the offense simply because he's, you know, he has more authority in, that, in his position now. And I don't, I haven't sensed that really. It doesn't. We've been talking about the Bills' offense struggling for the past couple of weeks now, but I haven't sensed any kind of reporting or observations Mutiny. or anything saying like yeah. McDermott's starting to talk a little bit about what the Bills' offense There's needs murmurs. to do. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's because frankly they have run the ball decent. The problem with me is like last week 
Now, I know the injury to Deion Dawkins and the injuries on the interior, they changed some things, and it forced them to maybe get a little more vanilla in the run game. But, man, they just they abandoned that thing like it's nothing. They'll be up, and they should have ran the ball more in the second half against a bad Vikings run defense, and they didn't. And they kept throwing, and they kept throwing, and they kept throwing, and they were up by five points or whatever it was, four points against the Vikings, and they desperately need a first down, and what do they do? They wait, They literally took four seconds off the clock. They threw three times and punted the ball back to an offense that this defense could not stop. So I, I think there, there, there's a lot to me about there are rookie mistakes that the rookie offensive coordinator is making, and I can absolutely live with the rookie, with the inexperienced mistakes of a first-time play caller. I can live with those. It's the lack of the plan. It's the lack of the adjustments in the second half. This was a team through eight weeks that had an unprecedented historical point differential in the third quarter, and it has come way down to earth. They are downright putrid in the third quarter right now. And... I don't know if teams because partially because what they're doing in the first half, they're taking into the second half with them, and teams adjust, and they aren't, and that to me is not an excusable thing, regardless of you're a first-time offensive coordinator or not. The problem is with hiring a first-time offensive coordinator in the window that you're in right now, is I don't have time to get him up to speed. I don't have time to babysit and to hold his hand. He needs to be above board frankly, on the offense. The offense has to be the thing that you look at and say, well, if there's a lot of injuries on the defense, we have to be able to lean on the offense who does not have injuries. And they can't right now lean on the offense who doesn't have injuries. They can't figure out a way to feature in a week-to-week-out, really series-to-series perspective of Dawson Knox. They paid a whole bunch of money to him. Everyone that has a good tight end in the league finds ways to feature their tight end. He can't. That's a problem for me. I am not expert enough to know what the setup is on every single play. But I do wonder how much of this comes down to Allen. How much choice he has on the field of what they're what they might do in any moment. I know they run RPOs, but even beyond RPOs, like when he approaches the line, what he can call at the line. Where he looks and sees guys open, what he chooses to do. Is he being too aggressive? Is he like, I'm going to throw it 15 yards downfield, even though I could get it to Knox here, and he's open and available. If that's a choice on the quarterback to be aggressive on every play, and you have a offensive coordinator who is enabling that saying like the choice is yours we trust you go get it as opposed to saying not right now so like i don't know i don't know the how any of that chemistry works let me tell you this i don't know if you noticed this the last couple of weeks 20 or 30 whatever seconds the bills had left they went down and tied the game at home against minnesota last week 23 seconds right when they get in the two-minute drill and they put it on Josh to call the plays, seems like it works. So, I'm just saying, when it's Dorsey, get out of my ear, I got this, um, they feature Dawson Knox. I mean, Dawson Knox was the guy, that if you remember from the Vikings game, he went 7 for 70 in that, or no, he went 7 for 70 in the, uh, in the Browns game. On that final drive, he didn't have a catch all game, Dawson Knox. And then a final drive of, the, of regulation against the Minnesota Vikings, he had those three catches that got them in field goal range. Bang, bang, bang. I, I don't think there's a moment where the play comes in that says specifically, by the way, never throw it of to Dawson not. Knox. But it's there. Like there is there what I was talking about with the with the with the Giants, right? That that motion where you're featuring the number one read 
is the motioning tight end who's going to get into the flat in, in a foot race, beat a linebacker to a spot, you throw it accurately, he should be able to get upfield for a minimum of a couple extra yards of yards after catch. But you do that on first down, and now you have second and three instead of taking a deep shot on first and ten and having second and ten. Where This is just a different game right. plan. You're getting to a different script when you're in second and three opposed to second and ten. So, like, that to me is where are those easy plays where you're like, this play goes to does Dawson Knox. It, does it feel – I'm trying to think back now because I haven't really been paying attention. I've been too busy looking at the takes on Twitter. Do, do they – have they got, gotten away from motion at all? Is no, there, they, there, they motion. It's just – it's it's mostly to ID people. It's not because we're featuring a guy in a play. It's, it's to figure out what the defense is so doing. So there, there's two ways you can look at motion, right? It's to ID the coverage. Or it's to get a guy in motion so that he is in a foot race at the snap of the ball with somebody else to give you the advantage of featuring him in that play. And that's the that's the play I'm talking about that right. has not happened with Dawson Knox really at all. And, you know, I, I'm talking about simplifying things and making the layups, right? The half field stuff, the flood, the, the, the flood, the like. Flooding zones to a half field instead of saying, Allen, drop back like a sitting duck and, and, and do all of the hard stuff, which is to make all these full field reads, get right to left. He can do all of those things, but he doesn't have to do it 80 times yeah, a game. You know, and you know what? That's how he got hurt. He yeah. Got, he got hurt dropping back in the pocket and winding That's up. That's right. He did not get hurt running the football. That's right. He did not get hurt moving around and scrambling. Was the first designed run in the last eight weeks the last play that Josh Allen ran? Yesterday, on Thursday, yeah, and I mean, like, I haven't seen one of those in a while. He, it's, I don't think he'll get hurt doing that. I mean, they might have, they might have shied away from it because they don't want to be freaking slides, right? They don't want to expose the elbow and stuff like that. But again, not how he got hurt. He got hurt getting hit in the pocket, winding up to throw it deep, which is how almost all quarterbacks get hurt. They get hurt That's in right. the pocket. They take shots that they shouldn't take, or they get hit by the blind side when somebody missed a block. That's when quarterbacks get hurt. So if Allen is your best weapon, and you need him to do everything that he does. The ball either getting out quickly or him moving is right now the best you can do for his health rather than having him stand back there and continue to look, waiting for the intermediate to long routes to develop. Because that's how he gets hurt, especially if your offensive line is battered. And especially when all of the routes in a given play are those deep those long, those long developing routes. You gotta I, give, give me the, the Ben Coates. I want quick slants that annihilate the linebackers of your opponent, like the Lions did all day long against Dan Jackson. All day. All right. Uh, for some reason, Maurice Claret is trending in the United States on Twitter. So is Hugh Freeze. It's a weird day, folks. Small Business Saturday. Uh, <laughs> we're going to take a timeout. On the other side, Eric Turner, cover one. We're going to break down a little bit more of this Lions-Bills film. We're going to preview our film room, which is going to be coming up on Sunday night. So we'll uh, we'll do this uh, on the other side. You're listening to Sports Talk Saturday right here on WGR. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. All right, welcome back to Sports Talk Saturday. Nakiri here, headed to the Western Hotline now. My good friend Eric Turner, the founder of CoverOne.net and at CoverOne on Twitter, joining me now to talk some Lions Bills. Eric, good morning to you, my friend, and uh, happy post-Thanksgiving. Hopefully you and the fam had a uh, had a great little run for Thanksgiving, man. 
Yeah, same to you guys. Thanks for having me on to talk some football this morning. My pleasure, dude. Uh, I'm excited. We're uh, we're gonna do some film room on Sunday. Uh, yes. But before we do that, let's uh, let's talk a little bit about the. Uh, you know, you had a chance, I'm sure, already to rip through. You sent me the plays. We're gonna go over. So, uh, no, knowing that you got through most of, if not all, of that game, let's talk about the offensive side before we kind of dive into the defensive side of the ball. The lull, right? I guess that's kind of the word yeah. that that I've been hearing a lot of this Bills offense and the lull that they've been kind of going through and. You know, some people have placed it on injuries and um, others have placed it on, you know, the inexperience of the play caller. Um, But Josh Allen has still found ways to sort of overcome those deficiencies, have overcome some of the issues this offense has faced to win football games. And that is, at the end of the day, Eric, what matters. But I think what you and I, some of the concerns we have is the sustainability of that. Um, Talk to me a little bit about what you saw in that game uh, that the Lions were showing the Bills that maybe put them off kilter and took them off of, uh, of maybe what they want to do in their game plan. You know, it always comes down with, with Josh Allen this year and Ken Dorsey's offense. It always comes down, like you said, how comfortable he is. And, you know, this offense, let's be honest, it is ranked quite high in any stat you look at, whether it's raw stats or advanced stats. But the thing with him this year is in those critical moments, you know, those areas of the field in the red zone, those critical areas, you know, he, he doesn't have quite the same offense. Let's, let's face it, it's a different offense than what he's had the last few years. And we see that the most in those critical times. Again, third and fourth downs in the red zone. And so I think that's, uh, you know, overall, that's been really the issue is they don't really have somewhere to, you know, hang their hat on when it comes to the run or the pass game. And so when those big moments come up, uh, you're going to see him struggle a little bit because you're not all that familiar with this offense yet. Now give it some time. I'm sure he's going to improve in that way, but overall the offenses look good. And the lions game, they came out with a game plan. They said, you know what? The lions like to play a lot of man coverage. They like to, uh, they give up a lot of yards to opposing quarterbacks that scramble. Well, we're going to put you in empty. We're going to put five guys out in the routes on every single play. Of course, have some help with the tight ends, running backs to chip off the edge, but then release in the routes. And guess what? If you're going to play man coverage, we're going to send guys out in the routes, and you better maintain your integrity uh, in your pass rush lanes. And uh, there were times where Josh Allen was able to uh, run the ball. They had some called runs for him, uh, something we haven't seen all that much. Um, but I thought early on that some of those, uh, that physicality in the secondary against the Bills wide receivers, um, really stood out. And I think that's mm. something that we need to start talking about a little more. You know, um, Gabriel Davis and, 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 and Diggs are, are getting their um, their looks, but, you know, they need some other guys. They need another third and fourth option to kind of step up because when teams want to press man, I mean, separation isn't quite there like we've had in the past with Emmanuel Sanders sure. and Cole Beasley. Yeah, and, and I think that's really where the Isaiah McKenzie factor has to start to be, yeah. I think, more consistent. We saw that in the first half. He eclipsed 100 yards last week against the Lions. But the one thing that, that and I'm glad you brought up like the Cole Beasley effect, and, and it, I, I hate bringing up a guy that isn't here anymore, but the thing that I think has maybe bothered me the most, Eric, is their lack of like easy answers, layups, and, mm-hmm. and schemed mm-hmm. layups. And, and to say that, you know, that, that Brian Dable was just scheming up all sorts of ways for, for Cole Beasley to make himself available. Let's be honest. That, that was a very simple game that Josh and Cole had with each other. You know, like they, he just understood leverage. He found ways to get in the, in the, into the empty voids of the of zone defenses. And Allen trusted him and knew where. And I think that's maybe the most important part is the trust and understanding and knowing the body language of Cole Beasley and where he was going on a given play. That's hard to replicate. However, I, the, the, to me, the answer 
Eric has kind of over it's been oversimplified. How do we how do we replace Cole Beasley? Well, it's well, we're just going to involve the running backs more in the in the passing game. And I think yeah. they have yet to really build off of that into what their plan B and what their plan C is. And I think for me, it's the lack of schemed up layups in this offense just because Josh Allen can excel in all the most difficult parts of the field and all the throws that he can make and in in the deeper zones and the deeper voids in those zone coverages. I guess to me, what, have you noticed the same thing that there's like the the lack of the the schemed layups in this offense and and maybe the guy I'm maybe most circling in this is scheming up Dawson Knox in those areas. Yeah, and it, when it comes to Dawson Knox, I mean where he's made his hay is you know in the extended plays where Josh Allen's you know rolling out and he's hitting those big plays down the field. Knox is catching them and then he's you know taking them to the house. Um, but in the red zone too, like he's been non-existent really in the red zone. And I will say against the Lions. The Bills went to empty set. They had Singletary off to the right side of the formation. They motioned him across, and we're trying to essentially run what it looked like was almost like a, a slide route with Singletary and then Dawson Knox in the mid to deep end zone coming across the middle. So I do think they know they need to get him going because, I mean, most of his touchdowns over the last few years have been in the red zone because, let's face it, Brian Dable in that area was, was really good at getting his tight ends going. I mean, he was scripting plays for at least Smith to score yeah. touchdowns. Yep. You know, and, and Tyler Croft. So I think that's one area that, yes, that Dorsey understands. He's got, he's got this weapon. He's a good mismatch. And Josh loves and trusts him in that area. He's just got to do a better job of scripting plays that get him one-on-ones in good matchups. Eric Turner here of Cover One. He's the founder of CoverOne.net. You can check him out uh, over on at Cover One on Twitter and uh, all the boys that are doing great work right now for Cover One. And we're talking a little bit here about the Bills-Lions matchup and the offense. And, and I want to switch gears to the defensive side of the ball because I think there's a lot of nuance to what's going on with this Bills defense right now, Eric. And and I think what people are starting to do is look at this Bills defense and, and they're seeing them get beat in ways they just simply have not seen this defense get beat in the Sean McDermott, Leslie Frazier era. And and I am, for one, maybe most disturbed by the ability of number one receivers to get off the way that they've gotten off over the last three weeks. Now, they've played three very good number yeah. one receivers, and that's something to keep in mind, too. And I just think it's, to me, like early in that football game, watching Jared Goff immediately turn his head. There was no disguising what they wanted to do, Eric. They wanted to go yeah. at Dane Jackson, and huh. they wanted to go at Dane Jackson, and they were really weaponizing his leverage against him, and they were moving everything on in-breaking slant routes, or or even if they were vertical routes, but stemming it inside. Like They were mm-hmm. just using... I think people are watching the film against Dane Jackson to say, okay, this guy finds the way to always be in position, but he struggles when the ball gets in the air. He struggles playing the football. Let's use that against him. Oh, wait, Tremaine Edmonds isn't in? Oh, well, now we're going to use his outside leverage against him and weaponize it. Is that what you're seeing too? Yeah, and of course injuries play a factor, but we'll kind of set that aside because, uh, yes, you know, not having Edmonds up the middle, he's going to create some issues. Not having Hyde on the back end and the communication and disguising a pre-to-post snap. Obviously hurts the defense as a whole. But my thing is, the last few weeks is, you know, some of the pressure hasn't quite gotten there with yes. just four. So you saw yes. them kind of ratchet that up a little bit. But you can only play so many zone-type coverages or pattern matches on the backside when you, one, have corners rotating in and out on both sides. Um, again, the injuries. And then, you know, you're going to a little more man coverage, and that is where Dane Jackson has gotten torched this year. Yep. You know, man coverage. And not just him. You, you talked about you're playing right. it at the catch point. Like, they're putting these guys in man coverage. They're, they're putting them in trail technique where they're letting the receiver get up the field of them, and then they're just mirroring the hips and just reading them. 
And a lot of these outbreaking routes and inbreaking routes, they're getting they're getting open and they're getting that separation. I mean, Dane Jackson in man coverage this year, he's given up 155 yards on 12 receptions. So, um, and even Taron Johnson's been you know victimized at, at times. Uh, so it's not really it's not really their fastball of, of the defense of the last few years. But that's something that we talked all offseason about getting some corners that can do that. Now, is Dane Jackson the man cover corner? No, but you're hoping to get Trey White back soon. Yep. He's starting to get ramped up. And you're hoping that Kyrie Elam yeah. eventually gets healthy and he's a guy because in this game when he did play and he was asked to play some of that man coverage and some of that trail technique coverage, he was pretty sticky. So That's where he lives, Eric. Incorporated, right? That's going to be huge. Yeah, I, I mean, that, that's why you draft a Kyrie Elam is to give you more opportunities to run man coverage and run that trail technique. And he is, uh, sticky is the word, but like he looks at home. He looks so comfortable. And sometimes when you see him run a lot of those zone cover looks, he does look like a fish out of water sometimes. He just doesn't look as comfortable and as natural as he does when he's in that trail technique. And that's why I think it's so interesting to me what they can do with Benford, who I think is such a nuanced zone corner and then with Kyrie Elam who is that true man up you know press man trail technique corner you kind of have the best of two worlds and with those guys so as all these guys start to get healthy it'll be interesting to see what they do but listen I I don't want to turn this into a you know proving that Tremaine Edmonds is invaluable in this defense because no matter what statistics no matter what film you want to show people are going to find whatever they're going to find as a reason to say or to just detract what he does and what he brings to this defense but I don't think there's any I don't think there's a better example of a what 12 a 10 like a 10 quarter stretch of football that this defense has looked like against the pass to show you the value that Tremaine Edmonds brings that simply doesn't show up in a stat book or isn't going to show up on maybe film if you're watching it because it's the throws that don't that aren't made near him and in his zones yeah, exactly. that are the real that are that, that bring his true value to the field. Yeah, and and you know a majority of those plays you're not able to see them on broadcast because he's carrying guys 15, 20 yards down the field. He's carrying uh, Mark Andrews, a tight end from the Ravens. He's carrying Adam Thielen down the field on 15 and 20 yard overouts. Like a lot of those plays you might not even see until he gets to the catch point. And so yes, you know his length and size and speed like. There was a play uh, from the Chiefs game where he had to cover a number three guy out to the flats, and it was a very flashy play. The Browns ran it uh, against the Bills where they, they swung it out to the sideline to Njoku, and Dotson was late to process the play, and he was late to the play. It was a big, explosive play, and Njoku jumped over Jordan Poirier. It was a big play. Well, they, the Chiefs did that a few weeks prior, and it hadn't been shut that down and held it to a three- or four-yard gain. So he does a lot of different things that you may not even see on the broadcast, but as you said, a lot of this stuff you're going to see, it's also not going to show up in the stat book, but he's incredibly important to this defense. As you said, the last few weeks, if, if you haven't been you know, understanding or comprehending what he brings to this defense, the last few weeks may have taught you something. So I want to ask you a little bit about, you, you brought up a point about how this defense is trying to manufacture pressure. Now Von Miller potentially out of the lineup. We're hoping for some good news over the next 7 to 10 days that he's going to be able to brace this up, get an injection, and, and play the rest of the year and get that lateral meniscus surgery in the offseason. That's the hope. Um, and even with that, you're going to be getting an 80-85% Von Miller, but it's better than a zero Von Miller, right? But I, I yeah. think about how much this defense actually misses Gregory Rousseau. And when you have Von Miller and Gregory Rousseau, as your book ends, that to me is how they've been able, that's why earlier in the year this defense was able to create pressure with four, and they have not been able to do that as much without Rousseau in the lineup, but Eric, I have noticed 
And 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 I know uh, Bruce was working on a on an article last night. And we were talking about this before mm-hmm. we got on the podcast that he looked in, and I think he saw that forty three percent of Jared Goff's dropbacks he was blitzed on Thursday by this Bills defense. That yeah. is a far cry from what this defense was. The fundamental portions of what this defense was was rush four and drop the rest. And that right. has not really been the case, Eric, over the last couple of weeks. And not only are they blitzing with more frequency. They're not really getting home, and I think part of that is also why you're seeing the corners struggle the way that they are. And especially when you're when you're blitzing, Eric, it's hard to run a lot of different zone blitz coverages. They're, there's they're easy to identify when you're blitzing, so that's why you're seeing more man blitz. And I'm not sure, and I'm seeing it on a frequency on third down that's almost a little too alarming for me. It's part of the reason I think they're struggling to get off the field on third down, Eric. Yeah, it's true. And yes, getting Rousseau back and, and healthy is going to be uh, important too because. Yes, he's a defensive end. He's one of the better run stoppers on the defense, if not one of the top run stoppers at edge in the league. Um, but they've also been weaponizing him a little bit, putting him inside on those third downs and using different overload looks where, you know, you got three rushers on one side, another rusher soloed to the other side. Um, so they can do some different things with him in there. Some of the other guys, they're hustle guys. They're not guys that are going to win, um, you know, with their pass rush moves. But uh, getting Rousseau back will help a little bit. And, yes, the – the pressures, the man pressures uh, last game were tough. Yeah, they, they blitzed Goff 43.6% of the time. Uh, he only had 77 yards on those plays, but he had two touchdowns. So mm-hmm. um, it, it is, you know, mixing it up is going to become important. But I also look for the Bills, and I, I hope that the Bills staff begins to, you know, disguise things a little bit better. But, sure. you know, continue to use Milano in that role and, you know, send him, drop at the end. Send him, you know, uh, send Taron Johnson, drop a, another guy out. So get a little creative with it, you know, attack the protections, not necessarily blitz with five or six man guys, but attack the protections, like do a better job of scheming it from a coaching sense where you're not really sacrificing on the back end while those guys that are rotating in and out are kind of still getting their feet wet and can still play coverage and still have the the maximum of guys in coverage to uh, slow down defense. And again, that really goes back to their bend, but don't break mentality. That's right. Last thing I've got for you, Eric, and I'm glad you brought up Matt Milano. Talk about the level of play you've seen from him. I mean, you just you put on the film, and if your eyes don't immediately make it to number 58, you I, you might be blind, I think. Yeah. Yeah, It's uh, it's been a treat, really, because, you know, a lot of this, uh, the guys that they've drafted over the years, we've been lucky enough to, you know, track and study them, uh, study their film since college and see them develop because they're so um, devoted to developing players and coaching up players. And Matt Milano has come so far yes, he has. as a player, you know, and uh, he's really taken his game to another level this year. I mean, he's carrying receivers, like like I said about Edmonds, carrying receivers from the slot. So he's out in the slot, carrying him down the field, passing him off to the safety. He's, again, he's rushing the quarterback. He is pointing out plays before they unfold, like, there was a play even just last week. I know we saw it against the Browns when Brissett kind of checked to the run to the weak side. He blew that play up. But this week, he saw that the tight end was off the line of scrimmage, and technically a lot of times when the Lions had that uh, blocking tight end off the line of scrimmage, they ran counter trade. He called it out. They bumped over post-snap, and they, him and Klein went in and make a play. Like, he's calling out plays before they happen. He's on another level and just really, uh, you know, truly one of the playmakers on the Bills' defense. And, I think if the, he's starting to get a little more credit around the league. I, I don't think he's such a hidden gem anymore. Well, I, I do have one more for you. DeMar Hamlin, tell, tell, me, yeah. tell me what you've seen from him because, man, as a run defender, he has been impressive. He's just the instincts he plays with and his ability to get from stop to full speed, man, it's been impressive. And it's not just been in the run game, too. He has looked very good in coverage. 
Yeah, and, and the thing is, with the safeties, uh, they're not really getting targeted all that much, especially when it was him and, like, Jaquan Johnson. They weren't putting a lot of responsibilities on them. They're playing half the field, you know, two safety looks. Um, but when he, you know, when they were both in, it was him as the post safety, the single high safety. He shows some remarkable athleticism, his ability to transition, like flip and open the hips, run and play over the top from post uh, safety alignment. Uh, yeah, he's he can come down and run fill with the best of them. And I and I when I did the video on him a couple weeks ago, um, it was no disrespect to Micah High, but because Micah High, when he comes from those two high looks to kind of defend the run and be that seventh defender against the run. He does it a little more calculated and kind of under control. He's got a different movement about him. Hamlin comes down with a purpose, and he sifts through the traffic quickly, and he ends the play. Like He just comes down and takes such good angles, even though he's not, again, one of those premier athletes at the position. He just takes really good angles. He's been in this type of defense for several years, and he's been impressive. And he's a, a guy that I do believe is a starter in this league, and he's, he's starting to notch up You know, once he kind of corrects some of those miss tackles because it does pop up from time to time like once he kind of cleans that up and gets that technique down adds a little more strength over the next couple of years he's a starter in this league there's no doubt about it eric appreciate your brother uh enjoy your weekend and uh i'll chat with you tomorrow night man all right Nate, thanks for having me on looking forward to it eric turner there cover one founder cover one.net at cover one on twitter uh you can check us out live tomorrow 9 p.m we'll be in the film room breaking down Bill's lines. I'm going to take a timeout. Joe Yurden, we're going to switch gears for just a moment, talk a little Sabres hockey with Joe Yurden. He's at the at the 12 o'clock hour. i got another break to get to, get to on the other side as well. So we got a lot to get to here over the next uh, 10 or 15 minutes or so here on Sports Talk Saturday on WGR. Head coach Sean McDermott joins the Extra Point Show with Sal and Joe every Friday morning at 1030. Brought to you by Northwest Bank. For what's next, get started at northwest.com. Insider Ross Tucker. Join Chopin the Bulldog every Thursday at 5 p.m. Brought to you by Northwest Bank. For what's next, get started at Northwest.com. It's an extra perverted college football weekend. Uh, OSU Michigan State. I think that's this afternoon. I'm not. I'm not. Yeah, it's noon. It starts in three minutes. Um, if you are a Michigan fan. Y'all are gonna get beat to just just gonna get beat down today. You guys are gonna carry each other off in a pine box, and you guys are gonna do that weird dance while you guys carry your coffin as you lose like forty-one to ten today. Ooh, I, I hate Ohio State, but this is the one day a year where I become full Buckeye. Oh. Irish. The real rivalry is tonight on ESPN. USC Notre Dame. Which features the most national championships of any rivalry in college football. It also features the most Heisman Trophy winners of any rivalry in football. So if you want to watch a rivalry, which by the way, the definition of a rivalry is both teams have to win. Oh my god! Right, Michigan has won one time in the last five years and twice in the last decade and a half. Good for you, Michigan fans. You guys have a quote rivalry. <sighs> yeah, good, sweet, awesome, Michigan fans. Can't wait for you guys to cry and. And bitch and moan about your 41 to 10 loss and how you still deserve to be in the top four so you can get absolutely embarrassed by Georgia. If somebody tries to call about this, I'm not going to answer. No, don't. I don't want it. Don't want it. Talk to Nate on Twitter. Talk to me on Twitter. You can find me. Find me on Twitter. At Howard WGR on Twitter. <laughs> Time out, other side. Joe Yurden, Sabres Talk coming up next year on WGR.
Catch the Football Friday Roundtable every Friday from 5 to 6 p.m. with Chopin the Bulldog. Brought to you by Dunn Tire, official tire dealer of the Buffalo Bills. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.